You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. We absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law. We need to safeguard financial stability. 2024 is not going to be an easy year. We used to call it the dream of home ownership. But look at Britain now. We've got to hang on to optimism and hope because it is the biggest driver of change. Let's stop thinking of life in terms of Brexit. Let's move on and look for the future. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Welcome to the programme. So uh, Davos is over. Now really the agenda uh, is looking towards the March budget. And it's all about whether or not the government is going to be able to cut taxes or not. Yeah, both Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt putting pen to paper over the weekend in the Sunday paper is talking about uh, tax cuts. Rishi Sunak writing in the Sun on Sunday saying the choice is clear. Tax cuts with us or tax rises with Keir Starmer. So already... Even though we are, you know, it's a solid sort of six weeks away from the budget on March mm. the 6th, it does seem like that drumbeat around tax cuts is getting louder. There is a, a, a stage in this process that will happen this week, which is when the Office of Budget Responsibility will give their first assessment to the Chancellor of, of how much money he might have to spend uh, in that budget. So various reports around that as uh, the Financial Times saying today that the Chancellor could get as much as £10 billion extra because of lower borrowing costs. So that's mm. something factoring into those decisions as well but perhaps also might be behind this ramping up of of promises around more tax cuts. The thing is, in economic terms, that's hardly anything at all. And we were speaking to the Corporation of London's um, uh, policy chair this morning, Chris Mm. Hayward, who was saying, of course we're in favour of tax cuts. Who isn't? If you ask me that question, it's how the government goes about doing that. And there are still so many perils around doing that and whether that then upsets, you know, investors and, and creates a whole sort of mini budget storm as with Liz trust the other factor in all of this too which i i think is quite interesting so there's also this argument you know that um if you keep taxes high does that send all of the wealth creators all of the people that might create uh, jobs and open yes. new businesses that drive send them, them out fleeing to other countries i like the fact the london school of economics has come out again which with some um research into this saying that actually the super rich are unlikely just to uh, desert us mm. because of high tax rates it doesn't quite work like that and this is a very different perspective maybe from the 70s, 80s, 90s, when that was always the argument, you know, that people who 
create new businesses are going to go if taxes are too high. I quite enjoyed some of the, the quotes in that um, research. <laughs> and I'm just going to have actually saying the UK's deep-rooted wealthiest. So take from that what you will as a definition. Are reluctant to move over tax, calling tax havens boring and culturally barren. Okay, um, we won't name so any. No, indeed. How, how rude is what I thought uh, in response to that. But there's look. So that's sort of one end of the scale when it comes to the tax cuts prospect. The other one is is there was a tax cut announced in the autumn statement, the national insurance cut, which a lot of people will be experiencing for the first time in their pay packets uh, due in the next couple of days. But apparently, according to a YouGov poll in the Times, 62% of voters believe the government should be prioritising spending on more public services rather than cutting taxes. Mm. The question of how much impact did that tax cut actually have? And the paper reports that Tory strategists are concerned that that 2% cut to national insurance basically hasn't had an impact on voters. People haven't felt like it was something that gave them a boost. Now, many of them, as I say, won't have seen it because it's from the, the start of this year. But it is an interesting thought that they spent £9 billion on this and does it actually have that much of an impact about how people feel about... OK, but that may off? be a time lag, as you say. But also, are Britain's problems, are the problems of voters only about money? Or is it about more than just that? To which Keir Starmer's um, speech today, I think, is very interesting. So he's been speaking at this civil society summit about his vision for the voluntary sector. It was billed as this reset for the relationship between government and civil society. And he was asking also for the support of these charities and other organisations and their input into Labour's plan, um, what Starmer calls a mission-led government. I want you to firstly just have a listen to him setting out this vision for Britain's society in the speech today. Who recognised that the government couldn't and shouldn't do everything by themselves and that civil society and faith groups play a unique and vital role in this country, building the relationships and the shared values that shape our national life. The relationship between government and civil society needs a reset. So a reset, says Starmer. Um, There wasn't a huge amount of policy, but this I did pick out is incredibly important. Uh, The Labour leader promising to halve violence against women and girls in the next decade. Yeah, no thoughts around the interaction between civil society and the government. Not a new idea for government. In fact, it sounded remarkably similar to this speech. The big top-down government solutions to every problem, that isn't working anymore, and so it is time to, time to try something different. And I think the idea of the big society is trying to help individuals and communities and voluntary bodies to come together and find solutions to the problems that we have, whether it is the provision of good schools or feeling you want to improve your neighbourhood or, uh, or whatever. But yes, when, so that's the big idea is that you're looking for big society answers rather than big state answers. So that was David Cameron launching his big society project back in 2010. Keir Starmer had some similar thoughts today. One Conservative Prime Minister said there was no such thing as society. And then we watched individualism run rampant. Cameron talked about the big society. A great idea in principle. But when austerity kicked in, we ended up with the poor society. So that was Keir Starmer.
Let's speak now to Philip Blonde, who is the director of the think tank Res Publica and actually one of the architects of David Cameron's Big Society project. So really great to have you on the Bloomberg uh, radio podcast uh, programme this morning. What do you think that David Cameron, now back in government, would actually make of not just a kind of nod, but even a, a sort of credit to his Big Society idea in this vision that's been set out by the Labour leader? Well, I think it remains pertinent because what we have now, which I've always argued, is we have a state that doesn't work and we have a market that doesn't work. So we've got an enormous amount of social problems that um, can't really be reached by the state. You know, I think I coined a phrase, the state can't love you. Uh, and And the fundamental solution to... So many of our problems are people looking after other people. And that's around neighbourhood, that's around loneliness, that's around checking up on people, and so on and so forth. And so the big society was an attempt to kind of restore social capital, if you forgive the awful phrase, to people. Because a lot of the evidence has, has shown that in developed societies, people are becoming more isolated, more lonely have less and less contact with people. And we know that poorer people are lonelier than richer people. People out of work are more isolated. And we know the cost of isolation. Um, Michael Marmot's done some amazing work on kind of wider population health factors. And people die 20 years earlier um, Mm. in Blackpool than they do in Richmond. And they have over 10 years in, in living in ill health rather than good health. So it's all all pretty extreme, really. So, so what, I think... What, the, what what happened then with the Big Society Project? Because it, it, it didn't seem to kind of live up to its promise. I think that's correct. It did not. I think George Osborne happened to uh, the Big Society. And um, Osborne's a very clever man um, who only, unfortunately, had one idea, which was austerity. And in a way, to make the big society work requires more investment. And you can't sort of just cut away the state. You've got to try to create a a state that is more permeable, that can be better colonized by by people. So think of our GPs um, units today. You can't control how your GP uh, practice uh, services you. You have no real power over over how uh, they relate to people ringing up. Um, hopefully they're good, but many are not good. Similarly, you can't control your school. Your school can be pushing through all sorts of extreme ideology, even at primary school. And as a parent, if you're in a state school, you can't do anything about it. So I think sort of if one was trying to do big society again, you would try to... I don't like the phrase democratise because whenever you use it, it achieves the opposite of what's intended. But you've got to give parents more control of schools, patients more control of of doctors and, mm. and essentially restore the, give to the ordinary person some ability for them to control the services that the state delivers to them. Um, we got police and crime commissioners in for the police but again, that hasn't made any real difference. The police are still pretty woeful um, across the board. 
So, so the, my sense is now we've got an enormous majority of people who are very unhappy with all manner of state provision, and we've no way to integrate them with the state. And the big society was an attempt to do that. And mm. uh, for me, it was too hostile to the state, which is why it didn't work. And then coupled with austerity, that became the only message of the Cameron government, really. Yeah, and and we're at a point now where you know local authorities across the country, a big number of them, who deliver a lot of local services that you talk about, are are facing um, potential bankruptcy. We've already seen five or six in the last couple of years, and there is an enormous sort of issue of financing all of this and Labour talking about wanting a mission-led government but the number one problem is going to be cash well this is where you know if you look at what um what the councils are spending their money on it's social care it's people basically unable to look after their parents um i mean many of, of these people perhaps don't have children or don't have children who are who are able or willing to try to work for a more at-home solution. So they go into very expensive um, institutional care that is often horrific. And this is why old people live in fear of going into care, because nobody cares for you in care. That, that, that's, that's the problem. And then think of family breakdown. You know, an enormous uh, amount of... Um, Money is spent by local authorities on the consequences of family breakdown, domestic abuse, often by the uh, non-natural father. You know, a child is most most at risk from uh, the male partner uh, that isn't the child's natural father. That's where most of the killings and harm comes to children come from. And so there's an enormous financial costs borne by everybody from our social breakdown. So there's got to be some sense of, of trying to tackle that social breakdown because then you, you tackle the cause but, of many, many of, of, of these present problems. But currently nobody's doing that. A big strain of that sounds like, I'll say it frankly, blaming women for the problems of society. I mean, women largely do the lion's share of unpaid work. Very difficult to have women working as the government and and others want and we have a high proportion of women who do that but also you know doing doing that heavy lifting in terms of of care within society that is that seems to be what i'm hearing from that yeah yeah i think that's in your mind uh not in mine or not in what i've said i think that uh family breakdown doesn't i'm not applying any gender or sex specific criticism there it's just a fact and um and similarly care for care for the elderly i think you're assuming that that care has to be delivered by women i'm not but you're right in the sense that most care is delivered by women do you think that that Keir Starmer's speech or that this idea, um, you know, that he has laid out of a decade of national re- renewal of, you know, he's he's 
He's repeated some of the phrases that, frankly, Cameron and the Conservatives were using. You know, the social contract, a society of service, growing the economy in all parts of the country, a mission-led government, pointing to the failure of 14 years of Conservative government to make things better in the UK, according to Starmer. But actually, it's not a different vision. It's just sort of saying that we will be able to deliver it. Do you think that that catches fire? Is there anything different from what Cameron was laying out? Can it be achieved if the Tories haven't done it? Look, Blur said something similar. I think almost every Mm. PF said something (laughs) similar and never enacts it because the logic of of our system takes over. So I think the trouble with Labour is that the culture war elements of Labour, you know, the trans agenda, the... um, the enforcement of, uh, of that in schools will destroy any attempt at kind of so wider social cohesion. And it will once more be an upper middle class war of progressive values, if we can call it that, upon non-progressive majorities. And that's where I fear the, the, the balance in Labour is going to, going to sort of lead to. But I hope not. I mean, I want... In, in this sense, I want Labour to succeed because the problems uh, Starmer has named are real. But I don't see any genuine social policy or any genuine attempt to to meet them. So I think, yeah, I, th- I, I fear it's just words, I'm afraid. OK, Philip Blount, Director of Respublica, thank you very much for joining us with your views on the subject of Keir Starmer's speech today. Well, let's turn our attention then to funding because 44 Conservative MPs have written to the Prime Minister asking for more funds for local councils. In a year set for both local and general elections, it's a worrying sign. Conservative leader of the Derbyshire County Council, Barry Lewis, joins us now to discuss. Barry, very good to have you on Bloomberg Radio. We've been talking about actually the extent of local authority difficulties for some time, you know, totting up the number of of councils that have um, effectively said that they've gone bankrupt. Just tell us, in your view, what you think the scale of the issues are affecting local finance. Well, this year is um, um, pretty uh, colossal in, uh, in in real terms because of the um, inflationary pressures that um, local authorities face and increased demand on things like adult social care and in particular uh, children's services. So there's a, a overspend across the upper tier authorities in, uh, in, in this year of around um, £650 million, which is not insignificant. And of course, in the autumn statement, no announcement of uh, of, uh, of new money. So um, it's putting local authorities under real pressure, particularly since 2010, um, you know, billions have been saved right across the sector. And in our instance, in uh, Derbyshire County Council, over three hundred million pounds in that time. Um, so it's becoming it's becoming really, really challenging at the moment. Now, th- these are issues that you've laid out. What the current crunch point comes from as well. How big a change needs to come around? And is is this a temporary issue, or is the structural issue around funding for local government need to be completely overhauled? And from your point of view. What would that mean in terms of the amount of money that you'd need? 
Okay, so local authorities are constantly having to look at how they operate and um, uh, become more efficient and more effective in the way they um, uh, run their businesses effectively. And um, so there, it, there, is a, there is a structural longer term element. So we need to have a real look at um, long, in the longer term at um, local authority funding and how it is funded and so on. Um, mm. But in particular, the last 12 months, we all know about the 12, 18 months of the inflation repressions that um, have been extraordinary. Um, and that's particularly on, uh, on local authorities. OK, there's there's a general election coming up. Um, obviously, as a Conservative, the, the, the leadership in Westminster is talking about tax cuts. Are you in favour of having tax cuts if that means not being able to further fund local councils? Well, absolutely. I mean, um, where we have uh, um, residents right across the country are also feeling the pinch um, in their pockets as well. You know, we don't want to put an extra burden on um, on, on residents. Um, you know, as I said, as I've already mentioned, local mm. authorities are, are as lean and mean as they can be um, at this moment in time. Uh, but there is a real need to start thinking about how we as local authorities sort of deliver those services that the general public uh, really want uh, and need. And it's the staff statutory stuff is the children's services which cost a huge amount of money and has put a you know huge pressure on the uh, system at the minute but you know the, the the what seems to be altogether mundane but it's really really felt out there on our, uh, on our streets and that's the issue of uh, things like pothole repairs and so on um, a real national issue at the moment as we all know so uh, there is a real need to make sure that local authorities are funded correctly Okay, but you can't have both, surely. I mean, it's incredibly tight, the headroom that the Chancellor has got. He's going to have very, very little. Um, Surely, you know, when the forecast is that more local councils are going to uh, go bust in the next 12 months, and that has been, you know, the local government authority have talked about that uh, a number of times, there's going to be a real crunch point in the next 12 months. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, I, you know, I think this is a, um, a really careful balancing act about where we spend uh, money elsewhere in the uh, in the system as well. But um, he did identify that um, that there is a larger fiscal headroom than he uh, um, had initially anticipated that 13 billion that was identified in the in the autumn statement. So we believe there is a little bit of um, headroom um, in there. But, you know, um, I think it's I think it's quite clear the passion that's felt even amongst MPs to be writing 40 odd uh, to the uh, to the prime minister. Minister is, uh, is 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 pretty much unprecedented around local government uh, funding. So, Realization that the delivery arm of government on the ground is local authorities. Well, as as the leader of a county council, then how do you how do you want to see that money being spent? Does it need to go only into local services? Because you, you can't have everything. It's there is money, but there's not a huge amount of money to go around. Very true. Very true. I think, as I say, uh, you know, uh, at, the, at the end of the day, it's, go, it's it's to government to do the balancing act, and we're we're hearing that our the uh, the representations that are being made by both local authorities and uh, and MPs are beginning to land um, uh, uh, well on the on the chancellor and uh, and the prime minister, and hopefully that will translate into into some uh, uh, some action. Mm. We do understand right across the sector that, and we are, as I say always challenging where we can be leaner and meaner um, across the system but there is a balance to be struck and that balance you know um, obviously uh, needs to be worked through by government but we but but as I say ultimately people value their services. Yes absolutely Um, 
The problem is that uh, one in five council leaders uh, in England who have been surveyed by the LGA say that they are going to be out of money after the autumn statement. Is Derbyshire County Council, you know, fiscally robust? Are you one of the councils that is close to 114 or is that a distant prospect from your point of view? It is a more it is a more distant prospect for us. I mean, we were we we um, made an announcement that uh, we were looking at potential in-year deficit of forty-six million. We're working that um, down at the moment. We have a problem longer term going on, uh, potentially thirty-nine point five million. Um, and this is what I mean um, for the next year. That is, um, the, and this is what I mean by you know we're constantly challenging and pushing because we've now got to save our thirty-nine point five billion out of our budget uh, next year to make sure we can balance it. Um, and you know we're going to do that. Um, you know, um, putting in all the necessary actions, etc. It's going to be um, a real challenge. What concretely does it? Faced by, I was going to say that's a, that's a challenge faced by a lot of local authorities at the moment. Yeah. So just concretely, for people living in your council area, what services will not be available to them because of that de- deficit? Um, there's no, there's, there's nothing at the moment that we're looking at. Um, uh, I mean, it's a consultation as well, so you know, um, it, it's reprofiling uh, particular services so they become um, slightly more efficient. It means that we'll be doing some less in uh, some areas. We're challenging every area of spend right across um, the local authority. Um, but you know, it may be that uh, certain grant schemes are going to have to be eliminated. We're looking at it, this is this this is the perversity of it. We're looking at things like early help services. Um, in adult social care and in children's services, which we may have to reduce or cut. And if we do that, that then puts further pressure on the system further down the line. So mm-hmm. this is what I mean about this uh, this balancing act that we're, that we're having to do as a local authority and, uh, as I say, in common with many local authorities right across the country. Do some of your statutory obligations for service provision need to be removed then? If you simply there simply isn't enough money to go around, do you need to be given more flexibility about those spending choices? No, I mean, um, if you look at um, statutory, uh, uh, the statutory services that we run around children's services, our highway statutory responsibilities, all those sorts of things, we will still continue uh, to deliver that. It doesn't mean that you can't challenge things around statutory services to make them more efficient, to make them um, uh, run at less cost, etc. Um, but that ultimately requires um, hard decisions along the way. But it is, but it is something that we can do. Yeah. Um, in terms of how you're going to make the case at local and national elections for a new mandate for the Conservative Party. How hopeful are you that you can um, that you can convince voters after 14 years at, at national level in government um, to, to give the Conservatives another go? I mean, we were just listening to Keir Starmer this morning sort of laying out what he sees as 10 years of national renewal so making a clear pitch really for two terms of a, of a Labour government I, how hopeful are you about being able to win in um, local and national elections? Well you know um, we've got to do our best I guess both, both, both as local authorities um, and as councillors and as uh, MPs across the piece but I'm not hearing um, from um, the Labour parties any clear direction and plan about how um, they are going to uh, make a difference, uh, for example, in local government. I mean, it was on TV just a few days ago with a, um, a prospective uh, parliamentary candidate for Labour Party who couldn't articulate a plan uh, for what uh, the Labour Party are going to do um, once again, mm. government. So, 
you know, uh, it, it, I think it's going to be a real challenge for whoever is in government, um, and I think that has been openly admitted by uh, by all. Um, but ultimately, it's down to um, how we deliver, and that's and that's the, and that's the case we're trying to make, both as conservative local authorities and leaders, but also nationally as a conservative party. I wonder how much the local story, though, will come up on the doorsteps running up to that general election as well. Will people be most worried about their local services disappearing when it comes to choosing their MP? To an extent. Um, I think the big story on the doorstep um, uh, this time of year in particular is the one that's around um, potholes more than um, anything else. Um, as long as we can keep emptying the bins, dealing with the waste, um, you know, making sure that um, young people are safe and, uh, and well-educated and well-fed, etc. And um, uh, our elderly are well looked after in, uh, in, in settings that they need to be looked after in. And that the potholes and the roads and the highways are in as good condition as they can be. That's the basic job of local government. And that's the one that we want to try and excel at but it's very difficult in these circumstances okay uh, barry lewis thank you so much for being with us conservative leader of derbyshire county council uh, thank you so much for your time well that's it from us for today if you like the program don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen this episode was produced by james walcock our audio engineer was marufal hussein i'm caroline hepke and i'm stephen carroll we'll be back with more tomorrow this is bloomberg bloomberg uk politics listen weekdays at noon on dab digital radio in london It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.